0: Our gospel lesson this morning is going to come from Matthew's gospel, from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, and I invite you to stand as you're able in body or in spirit for the reading of our gospel lesson. When they had come near to Jerusalem and reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken to the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought forth the donkey and the colt, put their cloaks on them, and he sat down on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and that followed behind were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I love, I love a crowd. Maybe it's just the extrovert in me, but I love a crowd. Always have. I always love a crowd. I love the energy of a crowd. You know, it's a running joke uh, between me and Holly about um, cities. I've joked, you know, man, wouldn't it be great, you know, we can retire, you know, in New Orleans or Memphis one day and have everything nearby and all the energy. And I I just, I love the energy of a big city. Well, Holly wants to, I'm not going to say she wants to be a prepper off the grid completely, but, but. Pretty close. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, but I'm not extrovert. I love, I love the energy of I love, you know, if you're a sports fan, if you're a sports fan, you know, what's better than being live in the stadium? You know, and your team makes a makes a, a big big stop on defense, and you, you can you can feel the energy pulsating through the crowd. You know what I mean? Like that, that more, you, you can feel it bubbling across the stadium, just that energy and that excitement. I, I've gotten to where the older I get, the more I become more, more of a, a concert goer than a game goer. And, you know, if you go to a concert and, you, and you, your favorite song, your favorite musician's playing and they play the first note of that song that you love and you can just feel the energy and the excitement coming out. Everybody in the crowd begins to sing along with them. You know, that that's a great feeling. I love I love Sunday morning, y'all. I'm a weirdo. I like church. <laughs> I go to church on vacation. Like, I like church. I like the energy of a crowd and the excitement as we worship together and as we sing together. There's nothing, there's nothing I love more than to hear you sing. I, I love the energy and the excitement of a crowd. It's, it's a great thing to me. We see quite the crowd this morning in the scriptures, don't we? You know, Jesus lived a hard life, y'all. Remember one time, this guy was gonna follow him, and Jesus said, birds hath nests, and foxes hath dens, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Jesus had a hard life, y'all. Think about it. Every town he went into, the preachers yelled at him. Can you imagine Everywhere you go, the preachers come outside and yell at you. But isn't that what the Pharisees did? Everywhere he went, he faced opposition. His life was hard. And I think, in my opinion, there are three places in Scripture we see Jesus get the praise he's due. One is at his baptism, when he's baptized. And the Father speaks, and the Spirit comes like a dove, and we, we see him glorified and honored at his baptism. The second time is the Transfiguration. The Transfiguration, we see him in his glory. We see him with Abraham, with, with with Elijah, and with Moses. We see him in his glory there. And to me, to me, the third time is Palm Sunday, when we see the crowd worshiping Jesus. Now, this is an interesting passage. If you read it, like you read the first part, you realize they letting you know he's riding a donkey. There's no doubt in Scripture it's a donkey. How many times do you hear the word donkey or colt mentioned in that passage? Matthew is making sure you understand he's not riding a goat, he's not riding a horse, he's not riding a motorcycle. He's riding a donkey. And the reason why that's such a big deal, not just to compare, not, not, not just to fulfill the Scripture, but Dana did a beautiful job. In the children's home this morning, if you go to a, a parade, you know what you're going to see the officials in? Big, imposing vehicles. They're going to be obvious. We live in a Western world where power is apparent. And the, the, how, how big is the car? The, the, how, how, how impressive is the horse? How, how, how much entourage do you have? There's no doubt when the king comes. Somebody may even yell, the king is coming. They may have a a trumpet blaring. You're going to know the king is there. Yet, how did Jesus enter in? On a humble donkey. So not only, only though, y'all, is that the humility of our Savior, but in the Jewish mindset, that's how the king would come. When Jesus comes in on the donkey, he's telling everybody in Jerusalem, I am who you think I am. Yes. I am the Messiah. Outside of the resurrection, riding this donkey might be the most messianic thing Jesus ever did. Because that's what the Jews were looking for. They knew their Messiah was not going to come riding a great stallion. Their Messiah was going to come on a humble donkey. That's what Jesus does. And notice they respond, don't they? Hosanna. Hosanna. They cut down the palm branches. They parade. They worship. And notice they address Jesus by a title, don't they? What do they say? Hosanna to the son of David. There are three titles typically Jesus has or is given, each with a distinct meaning. He's often called the Son of God. That one makes sense to us. That's a reference to his divine nature. He is the Son of God. He is the one who has come from God to save the people from their sins. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. The Son of God is his divine title, the nature of God, the Savior of the world. He calls himself quite often the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a reference that Jesus gives himself and it is hearkening back to Daniel. Daniel, an Old Testament prophet, has this prophecy of one like a son of man who will come and restore all things. When he calls himself the son of man, that's a messianic title. The son of man will come and he will restore all things. The son of man will come and he will judge all things. The son of man will come and he will make all things right. Son of God, Divine. Son of, da- son, of, son, of, son of man, messianic, apocalyptic. Son of David. It's not a title Jesus calls himself a lot, it's a title people call him. Son of David. What is he called today? Son of David. You know what the son of David was? The one who would come and reestablish the kingdom of David. To this day, what is the name of the emblem on the flag of this nation of Israel? The star of? David was the great political king. David was their king. And see, once Babylon defeated Judah in 586 B.C., They were always ruled by somebody. First it was Babylon, then it was Persia, then it was Greece, then it was Rome. Somebody was always over them. And they were looking for a political king, a son of David, who would come and drive out the Romans. A son of David who would come and would reestablish the earthly kingdom of David who would come and would restore Israel to its former glory and its former grandeur. He would come and restore this political, earthly kingdom of David. So when they say, Hosanna to the son of David, they're like, finally, finally, the one who is here who will drive out the hated Gentiles, finally, the Lord has sent us a deliverer who will drive out these who who, who have kept us in chains. And God will establish this kingdom. Hosanna to the son of David. Notice it says all of Jerusalem is in turmoil. You know why? Because the king's not happy about, because the current king is not happy that the son of David's here. Remember what Herod did when he found out this king of the Jews had been born as told to him by the wise men, he handled it very well. He killed every child under two years old in Bethlehem because he didn't want a challenger to his throne. Son of of God, divine. Son of man, messianic. Son of David, usually earthly and political. So what does Jesus say when Pilate questions him, "My kingdom is not of this world." If it were so, they would have risen up to follow fight." Some scholars think, when we read the story this week of Judas's betrayal, we see the Bible tells us how the devil was working in the midst of all that. But we some scholars think that what Judas, what Judas was trying to do was he, was he betrayed Jesus to force his hand. Are you really this Messiah? Let's start the war. So when Judas does it, what's the first thing our boy Peter does when Judas betrays Jesus? He takes out a sword and goes ear hunting. Cuts off an ear. Peter's ready to fight. Peter's ready to fight. He's ready for it. What's Jesus do? He puts the sword back up and heals it. So we had this crowd here. We have this crowd on Palm Sunday, in the energy, in the excitement, shouting "Hosanna to the Son of David," "Hosanna to the Son of David." But somewhere, somewhere along the line away this week, things kind of get a little cattywampus. And we see that Jesus is not going to be this earthly king they were looking for. So the crowd, <laughs> the crowd gathers again later in the week. And just like this crowd, the crowd we see later in the week, there, there's a sense of energy, man. There, 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 there's a sense of, of electricity in the air. But, but this time, instead of, instead of a, a crowd that's powered by hope of what can be, we see on Thursday a, a crowd powered by disappointments and confusion and not understanding. And once again, we see a crowd gather together. And this crowd on Sunday They chanted Hosanna. And likewise, on Thursday, this crowd, it's also going to gather. And it's also going to chant. But instead of chanting Hosanna to the son of David, the crowd on Thursday is going to chant, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. The same crowd that on Palm Sunday chanted Hosanna, the same crowd that on Thursday chanted crucify. This Lenten season, we've talked about the devil, how the devil works. How the devil attacks us. How he tempts us. Palm Sunday. Holy week. I think we might see the devil's greatest weapon against us. That's disappointment. That's disappointment. What do we do when the doctor? Calls us, he says, I, "I have your test results, and it's malignant." What do we do when our boss calls us into the office and said, "You're doing a great job, but um, we think we need to go in a different direction." What do we do when, as children, as parents? We see the dreams that we had for our children when they were little bitty. What do we do as parents when these dreams don't become the reality of our children and the choices they've made? What do we do when the phrase irreconcilable differences is thrown around? What do we do when as children we have to deal with difficult choices and difficult decisions and difficult conversations with aging parents? I think today we see that maybe the greatest weapon the devil has against us is disappointment. What do we do when it doesn't turn out the way we won't? What, what do we do when the dreams that we had are crushed in front of our eyes and life doesn't go the way we dreamed it would go? Especially when we were so sure. <laughs> I mean, they were sure. This Messiah, this son of David, He's coming. He's coming to drive out the Romans because that's, of course, that's what the Messiah is going to do. Of course, it is. So, Hosanna to the Son of David. And what do you do when the Son of David says, "My kingdom is not of this world"? It's so easy in that moment to turn into the crowd that chants, "Crucify him." It's so easy. When life hits us with heavy blows that we don't even have the words to to speak. It's so easy when the challenges are so great, when the challenges are so hard to give in to cynicism, to give in to hatred, to give in to darkness, to give in to, to hardening of our hearts. Because say what you say about a hardened heart, guess what? Nothing can touch it. And isn't that better? Because who wants to be hurt again, right? That's the easy path. That's the path that we want to take, don't we? That's the path of protecting ourselves, that's the path of safety. But y'all, that path turns us into someone who's lost the ability to experience and feel the grace of God. It's very easy to chant crucify him, crucify him, especially when the rest of the crowd is chanting it. When life gives us blows that we don't want or don't expect, it's very easy to turn our back against God and say, well, no, I'm not going to walk that path. And that may feel, we may think, the right decision, but it's not. It's not. That path of hard-heartedness, that path of cynicism, that path of anger, that path of of hardness, y'all, that's not the path of Jesus. It's not. It's not. I can't tell you how many times me and my preacher buddies over the last few years have made the joke. Yeah, I didn't take the leadership in the midst of a pandemic class in seminary. I've been under appointment in the United Methodist Church since 1999. This is not the way I thought it was going to go, y'all none of this (laughs) not a single thing i didn't think i was going to be dealing with pandemics and trying to rebuild after that i didn't anticipate all the denominational anxiety we all feel i didn't sign up for that i just want to tell folks about jesus It's not the path I would have chosen. That wasn't the way I envisioned ministry going. This isn't the way you envisioned everything going. This isn't the path that we thought it was going to be, is it? And it's so easy in the midst of these things to get angry. It's so easy to get cynical. It's so easy to turn our back against God and our fellow man. That's the easy choice. That's the choice that might even feel right. But it's not the path Of Jesus. Because, in spite of what the devil tells you in your disappointment, you have not lost hope. Because you got Jesus. You have a Savior who was raised from the dead, literally from the dead. So, there's nothing we face that's bigger than that. Nothing we face that's harder than that. And y'all, the devil wants to layer disappointment and hurt, disappointment and hurt, disappointment and hurt on top of us to where we feel half dead. But much like Lazarus, we have to hear the words of Jesus saying, come out of the grave and serve me. Come out of the grave and follow me. Come out of the grave and hope Once again. So I think it's important that on this Palm Sunday, as we enter into a week of choices, we can choose. We can choose, y'all, to be the, the crowd that cries, crucify him, crucify him. In the midst of our disappointments. Or we can choose to ground ourselves in the life and the death, and yes, y'all, in the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus the Christ, knowing that we always have hope, knowing that we always have hope, knowing that we always have hope. And the reason why we got hope, y'all, is because we got Jesus. The devil loves to crush with disappointment. Come out of the darkness. Come into the light. Live in the hope of Jesus. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. May we be the people of hope, even in the midst of life. Let's pray.